When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Monday Buckeye Talk from Clinton.com. Douglas Marie, Nathan Bear, do what we do on Mondays, which is look at Ohio State, look at the national college football scene, and do what you're watching, what you're eating, what you're thinking. And the thing I'm thinking about, Nathan, is an idea about football that I want to throw out to you at the end of this podcast. But we're going to dive in first. Ohio State obviously off this past weekend. But it was quite a weekend for gathering information. And the thing we're going to start with is the idea of what we think the playoff might potentially look like. I have some particular things about teams and how they played and what that means for Ohio State that I want to talk about later. But we're sort of let's deal with the results first. That's Bama losing to Tennessee. That's USC losing to Utah. That's Oklahoma State losing to TCU. And that's Michigan blowing the doors off of Penn State. And what we think that would mean for a four-team bracket, and specifically for the idea of if we get to 11-0, 11-0, Ohio State versus Michigan, how realistic, Nathan, do you think it is that potentially both of the teams could make the playoff? If it is a close game, if it's a well-played game, if they look on the field on the last Saturday in November, like two of the four best teams in the country, could they both get in given what transpired this weekend? I think they could both get in, but I think when I went through and did this process, I ended up with a lot of one loss teams. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the Big 10 one-loss team trying to get in if there are SEC one-loss teams trying to get in as well. So let's start with a couple other conferences first, because one of the things that I think I possibly believe at the moment is that the best teams in the Pac-12 and Big 12 might both already have two losses. That would be Utah in the Pac-12 and Texas in the Big 12. There's no undefeated teams left in the Pac-12, and TCU remains undefeated in the Big 12, but I, do, I don't know how TCU is going to get through undefeated. Great double overtime win. Oklahoma State blew it. Oklahoma State, to me, was a team in the Big 12 that maybe had a chance. But more likely, and Shahan Jehiraj and I on the College Football Survivor Show have talked about this all year, more likely the Big 12 was always going to beat each other up. 
and wind up with very potentially a two-loss champ. I think it's very possible that neither the Big 12 nor the Pac-12, even in a world where you say there's a lot of potential one-loss teams out there, I think it's quite possible that those two conferences don't present a one-loss team. What do you think of that idea? Because obviously that affects this theory we're talking about. Right, yeah. I disagree with you. I've not been a big believer in Oklahoma State this season, and I think it wouldn't shock me if they lost like four straight. Now, they've got a tough stretch here, and I definitely think they're not going to survive this as a one-loss team that like rises from the dead, So, which probably means they will now. So go ahead and just like snip that out and save it for when they do, and uh, the Cowboys can thank me for for getting their season going. Their next three games are Texas at Kansas State at Kansas. I think somewhere in there they're losing at least one, and, and they're done. And TCU, I agree. I, I, I don't I think what they're doing is admirable and they they've put together now four pretty solid wins at SMU, Oklahoma, at Kansas, at, and then Oklahoma state being really the best one of those. And, um, but later this season at Texas, at Baylor, something's going to catch them. I, 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 that's, they're still, I think the better chance of somehow getting through this with one loss. I still would have them probably losing both of those games though. When I mocked this out, not even, and, and so I didn't even really mock out who was going to even be in the Big 12 championship game and who then would win forward from that. Because I had TCU and Oklahoma State just losing enough that with Texas already having a couple losses, I, I don't think it's going to matter. If you start putting too many two-loss teams together, though, then the team that becomes intriguing to me is Texas, just because they have the very narrow loss to Alabama that people think is a game they should have won and would have won if Quinn Ewers maybe hadn't gotten hurt. And then Ewers gets hurt, they lose another game, and now you get Ewers back. And if he starts really impressing people, then that's when you can squint and say, well, if we have to put some two-loss team in, why not this one that hasn't lost since he came back and who might have had one of the biggest wins of the season if he hadn't got hurt? But I think that's a distant exercise. I think we can get a much more direct group of four teams tonight without having to go down that route. But we certainly, as we talk about, hey, could the Big Ten get two teams in? The fact that the Pac-12 and the Big 12 are a little messy favors that, and it's not like they're guaranteed to get a team in. And and actually, we are not saying that the Big 12 and the Pac-12 aren't good. We're probably saying they're too good and that they lack an elite team, but they both have probably five, maybe more real teams that can kind of beat anybody on a given Saturday. I think they're pretty deep. I think they're pretty deep. They have they have more depth that we should respect than they have in a few years because we've talked plenty Agreed. of crap about other conferences on this podcast. I mean, it's pretty much the theme song at this point, and those two conferences have been involved in that. But there's there's quality depth there, and I think especially in the case of the Pac-12, when I mocked this out, it got interesting how cannibalistic that turned and where that left them. Hey, hey. Where you been? The ACC always kind of sucks. Hey, so you know the ACC hey, is sucking hey. again. You can't, didn't Come. you? Like it's just the, it writes itself. It really is. We'll just we'll get Mike Lewis and just be like, hey, could you just spin? <laughs> could you just have like alternate intros where you just rip various conferences? So okay, so Pac-12 and Big 12, the way things are happening could be advantageous for this Michigan Ohio State theory. Another thing I think is is important is there are no lurkers. And lurkers have mattered. And lurkers, I mean, Cincinnati, that kind of, right? If, mm-hmm. if Cincinnati didn't exist last year, you know, my Ohio State might have, got, might have gotten in, right, with Michigan. We might have seen this scenario if Cincinnati didn't exist. And Notre Dame, 
Notre Dame's out, BYU's out, no independent yeah. team. So none yeah. of those where all of a sudden, again, in 18, I was like, Notre Dame will lose, Notre Dame will lose, Notre Dame will lose, and they never lost. Like, that doesn't exist. So we're down to the, we're down to the Power 5 conferences, which, again, if you're looking for, right, Nathan, how could this happen? That's at least a little thing that would favor the idea of two Big Ten teams. And it's weird in a given year whether Ohio State – would want that to be true and want to not be true. I think in this year, they would want that to not be true. I think they would love it if Notre Dame was kind of a lurker right now because they've already beaten Notre Dame. And But instead, Notre Dame falling back into mediocrity and BYU just never really showing up. I, I was skeptical that they were going to be able to run this schedule and and be all that, have, end up with that good of a record at the end of the year. I didn't really think they were going to be able to truly contend for any kind of a playoff situation. But I think they're even worse than that. I think they're, I mean, they're, they're not that great. So it's like, it's like, oh, I, bet you they run the table. I bet you they finished nine and three. They're four and three right now. They lost to Arkansas and Oregon. And that's what I'm saying. I mean, they've already had three losses. But, like they weren't going to, yeah. Well, they only played so, But they've lost to Notre Dame, who we know isn't that good. That's why I'm saying it's like, it's double. Like if BYU were better, then Notre Dame beating them would be better. It'd be better for Ohio State when it comes yeah. down to seeding and stuff like that. And then now none of that is coming to fruition. So this year, I think they would have almost welcomed it because they're better. It's only the years where Ohio State has its own flaws that you want that cleared out. You want if, if it's going to be well, a little sketch, then clear I them know some what rumble. you're saying, but but get Ohio State to let Ohio State lose to Michigan and the. They won't want any lurkers, right? I mean, this is the, the one thing, and, and we'll dig it. You know, I think Michigan's good, and we'll talk about that at, at the end of this segment. Uh, ACC, I think Clemson's back, and everybody else stinks. So we're back, I think, to normal in the ACC. Syracuse is still undefeated, but that's not a real thing. Syracuse no, is no. like the Illinois of the ACC. Congrats to Syracuse. Great. Syracuse is in our chain, right? We have we – have, uh, Brothers and sisters in the advanced family who are covering Syracuse, fantastic. That's not a real thing. I, I think Clemson is Clemson, though. And so as I am, yeah. I am anticipating a Clemson spot. Now, I think it very well may mirror the first playoff in 2014, where Florida State was undefeated and the three seed. And I will say, at the moment, we each did our four-team bracket. I have Clemson undefeated. And the three seed. What did I say? Four seed? Clemson, the Florida State was a three seed that year. So, you know, they're beating people. I don't know who's going to beat them. I think their toughest games are behind them with NC State and Wake Forest and some other games. Miami doesn't look to be very good, that kind of thing. So I just think as you do this, I'm anticipating Clemson takes one of the four. Are you viewing it that way? Or are you think it's quite possible that the ACC would also wind up with no one? No, I see it similar to you. And, uh, but even maybe a step beyond that, I, I'm respecting the rest of the ACC a little bit more. I know that that is blasphemy on on Buckeye talk. I mean, Wake Forest is is pretty strong. Um, wait, teams like Wake Forest, NC State, uh, even like Florida State on a given Saturday, I would put them in a collection of a little bit kind of like those Big Twelve Pack Twelve teams. They're not great teams, but there's a, there's a level of quality there. And, but Clemson is clearly the best. And most importantly, Clemson has already beaten Clemson basically has already done this. I think this might be over. Like they already won at wake forest. They already beat NC state and the other division stinks. The other division is bad. Like it could be like North Carolina coming out of that, which is a team that I voted for at the bottom of my top 25 a few times, but it's not especially good. And would probably even against Clemson's not that great offense, get, get blown off the field. 
So I think they've already maybe, I think they're going to be 13 and 0 and I actually have them as my two seed in my four uh, because I have some other chaos happening in other division, other, other conferences. So then what this conversation really comes down to is if you're given a spot to the ACC and you don't think there will be one from the Pac-12, the Big 12, or anywhere else, you have three spots for the Big 10 and the SEC, which means you're putting in a second team from one of them. Now, if Clemson stumbles, we can start digging in on, is the playoff two SEC, two Big 10? That would mm-hmm. be quite a hoot nanny. But I don't think we, you and I, I just said you is. can't. Yeah. You can't assume it right now. Who like Clemson would have to beat itself. DJ would have to regress and all and throw three picks in a the game. They'd have to, you know, they they had a bad game a couple weeks ago when they had a bunch of secondary injuries. Clemson would have to beat itself because there's not someone who's going to rise up and do it. So if and when Clemson loses, we will be back on here talking about could could the playoff be SEC versus Big Ten? And boy oh boy, the place that invented King of the North would be ready for that, and and then some. But if we think it's two conferences for three spots, how do you think that might work itself out? How did you talk yourself through that discussion when we were trying to do this four-team bracket now? So on the Big Ten side of it, I really think now it's just Ohio State-Michigan. Even Ohio State has to go at Penn State, it just comes down to who you think wins that game. You don't think there's a threat from the West that's actually going to be able to beat either of those teams. I don't see, I don't see that being legitimate right now. And I don't think Ohio state is going to be able, I don't think Penn state, even if it plays better defensively than it did against Michigan is going to summon an offense that can keep up with Ohio state. I think that is, pretty obvious right now and i don't think the drew allar thing fixes it this year i think it's something intriguing for next year if that's where they go and they probably need to maybe even start looking that direction just for the sake of that but i it, it i don't think they can catch them this year so now it's just who do you think wins ohio state michigan and i think the winner of the ohio state michigan game is the number one seed in the playoff agreed agreed with all of that nobody else is going to be i think we're getting 11 and 0 versus 11 and 0 and we may as well do Michigan now. I thought that game would be close, and it mm-hmm. became very clear that what Michigan offers offensively is light years beyond what Penn State offers offensively right now. And listen, Penn State still has, still has some some good defensive players. I still think that's a pretty good defense. I think this was more a testament to Michigan is like completely for real. The run game is as devastating as it was last year. Sharon Moore is dialing it up. We had some questions early in the year. Are they missing Josh Gaddis? It feels like the play calling, they're still getting that done. They had another play. Again, I, I talked about it a million times, the Blake Corum run early in the third quarter against Ohio State last year where you, you could freeze frame it and see eight guys making eight perfect blocks. I thought they did that to mm-hmm. Penn State, maybe more than one play. And J.J. McCarthy adds a dash of spice that wasn't there before. And he is interesting. He's not perfect, but he's interesting. I think in, in a big game, he still might make mistakes, but it feels like he's probably going to keep you alive more than he's going to kill you. And then Michigan's ability to get a pass rush with four guys allows them to try to drop guys in coverage against CJ Stroud and still not make it too comfortable for him. And I'm not saying we're not having a is Mich- that Michigan's going to beat Ohio State conversation. I think if you had questions about Michigan, I think they answered them. 
And I think regardless what happens in the playoff, I I mean, I think they're one of the five best teams in the country. Ohio State obviously is. Ohio State's the best team in the country. Michigan's one of the best five. This should be a great game. But I had some questions coming into the year about how how good Michigan would be. They're real, man. I think they're real top to bottom. Yeah, I, I picked Penn State to win that game before the season. I had questions about Michigan. Now, at the time we were picking that, we were still in a world where um, Cade McNamara was the starting quarterback. And I agree with you that J.J. McCarthy has changed that. And he is clearly a, a gunslinger at times. He clearly gets a little bit loose in the corners. But when their run game executes the way it did, as you're saying, on Saturday, and now he becomes the guy who gets to play off of that, then I think he's pretty deadly. I think if you had asked anybody coming into that game, what's the key to beating Michigan? You would say, well, you just have to like slow them down on the run, stop them on the run, you know, get them behind the chains a little bit, put the game on McCarthy's arm, on his shoulders, and make him beat you. And now you've got a chance. I think that's still true. I think the Penn State game, as you're saying, just enlightened everyone to how difficult that's going to be. Because Penn State was legitimately a good defense. It's not a good offense. And no defense is good when it's out there as much as Penn State's was. And I think they got just ground into the ground over the course of that, which is how you end up having like multiple 60-yard touchdown runs against you in the third quarter. Uh, and and it's, it's Michigan's execution that's causing that too. Don't get me wrong. But those dynamics were both just playing on top of each other. I think Michigan is very strong. Like I was, I underestimated Michigan coming into this year. And I know that there are fans. We've already, I've already seen texts from them today about, oh, you guys really like fetishize Michigan. Ohio State writers love to talk about how great Michigan is. But like, I, I watched that game. Like that was they they toyed with Penn State, and Penn State is not bad. They're like they're well coached team who knows exactly who they are right i mean michigan michigan yes lost it's two coordinators identity. and again we, we had a lot of discussions worthwhile in the offseason michigan and clemson in very similar situations losing your coordinators and how much would that fundamentally change and i think early in the year we had doubts about both of them and now here we are past the halfway point and it feels like they're both okay that maybe it took a little time to figure it out, but there's a culture, there's an identity that exists and they're going to do what they're going to do. And they just have enough good guys. Listen, man, Michigan doesn't have as many good players as Ohio state, but when you just see what Donovan Edwards can do as the number two running back, right. And they just have multiple guys they can throw to and that they have multiple guys on the defensive line. You can get after the passer a little bit and they have some dudes like they just have some guys that they're, they are not, it's like the seventh time I've said it. We're not trying to kiss our Buckeye talk, audience's collective Heine, but listen, they're good. They they recruit the second best in the Big Ten, and you can tell. Like that they recruit at a at a top ten level, and that's real. And Jim Harbaugh is a bit of a goofball, but he has built a real staff. And now that they've figured it out, um, you just have to respect them. And I think the thing, Nathan, is one of these things from the standpoint of hey, you know, they're gonna come to Columbus and it's not going to be easy. You know, not great for Ohio State, but Ohio State still better, has more better players. But the standpoint of respect for the league, the standpoint of does the loser have a chance to get in, all those kind of things. Listen, man, the committees, I tested it, and every committee member is watched every second of that game, oh, yeah. Michigan versus Penn State. And what they came away with is Michigan is for real. And so if Ohio State's not undefeated, that is good news for Ohio State. Their path to 12-0 and got more difficult, 
But the reality of 11 and 1 is better for them when Michigan looks like this. And that's just, it, we've, it's the constant discussion that I've been doing this 18 years. It's, is the Big Ten good enough? No, the Big Ten's not good enough, but you don't want it to be too good, but you want it to be good enough, right? That you earn respect without going, without getting four losses. And this is, Michigan's an earn, earn respect for the league kind of team right now. And, and you're right that Michigan, that Ohio State still has more good players than Michigan. No question about that. But my brother is a big Illinois fan, and they're like really excited about obviously this um, thing that they have going on right now. Um, now it looks like they're in sort of the driver's seat to win the West. And he was, we were texting about Michigan over the weekend, and he said something about like, yeah, I just, I don't know if we're going to be able to stop Quorum. And I'm like, well, even if you do, like, do you see this Edwards kid? Like, he's, he went for whatever he had, like, a hundred. I can't remember the stats, but like yeah, a fantastic game, like breaking off huge, big runs. Like, and we known that that was coming. We've known that it was a matter of, could they put an infrastructure in place that would take advantage of that kind of skill talent? Now, again, I still think if you find a way to slow that down and make them have to throw the ball, beat you with their receivers, beat you with McCarthy and make him play without that sort of erratic quality that sneaks in there. You're, you've got a chance. And also, you've got to counter them with an offense, which Ohio State obviously can do. Even though Michigan is still strong defensively, I think this Ohio State offense can can match that, can can still put points on the board, and now you get them into more of a back and forth. Put some pressure on their offense. That Michigan team felt no pressure on Saturday. Like Even when things got a little weird and Sean Clifford gets on his um, – scooter or whatever and almost makes it downfield and then they punch it in on fourth down and then they get the pick six and now the game just it was one of those weird games where the score was equated even though in no way was the flow of the game at that point equated it in retrospect it just seemed like they were buying time until the inevitable happened and I think Ohio State can get them into a situation where and put some pressure on them because I don't know that Michigan at any point this season yet has felt much pressure and they had trouble in the red zone in the first half, which is why it was close. But that's yeah. like a good offense kind of problem. That's the kind of thing that we have discussions about with Ohio State every now and then, right? Well, you know, they can march up and down the field at will, but then in the red zone, you know, they're kicking field goals instead of scoring touchdowns. Right. You're not having a conversation about Michigan of like, oh, they, they had six three and outs in the in the middle of the game, right? So that's yeah, an issue. I, but, you know, the, they're good. They're good. They're good. I did text about this. I, I thought it was weird. There was a red zone play where it was like third down from maybe outside the five yard line. And their red zone play was like this little middle screen thing to quorum. And I was like, I understand he's your best player, but that's where I think Ohio state may have some separation too, that they know that they can go vertically into the end zone to multiple guys. They trust there. And that could be a factor when that game rolls around. But that's, I think that if, if Michigan, maintains what this is and this is like some version of what Michigan is going to be for the next three to five years I do think we're getting an idea of of, of what it's going to be like here that Michigan's never going to throw it like Ohio State but they might run it better they run it better right now right as good as Mayan Williams and Trayvon Henderson yep. are, that's not a shot at, at the Ohio State's run game which has been very good Michigan runs it better Ohio State throws it better so how does that manifest itself right so um, I'm sure people are loving us talking about Michigan, but I think <laughs> I think I think the issue here, well, right, is you would potentially you'd have that loser trying to get in, 
at 11 and one, not going to the Big Ten championship game. And they would be competing in our scenario, potentially, I think now, with the loser of Georgia, Tennessee, who could also potentially yep. be 11 and one, not playing in the SEC championship game. And then if it's one lo- 11 and one Tennessee versus 11 and one Michigan, if it's 11 and one Georgia versus 11 and one Ohio State, it's the exact same situation. Who would have the better case? But the, the issue, of course, that remains is if Bama's in the SEC championship yep. game, that is a far, it is a, but that's really only an issue for the top team, right? Because you, you, the, the Georgia Tennessee winner. So I, oh, the I bottom think line is Bama has a chance to complicate things far more than Illinois or Purdue. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Is yeah. going to do in the West. And so if you think that Bama is now going to be undefeated the rest of the way and get in the SEC title game and then beat potentially the undefeated team that remains from Georgia, Tennessee. And now you wind up in a scenario where you have three one loss SEC teams who have all beaten each other. Mm-hmm. Now the big 10 teams not getting in. And and now all of right. a sudden like Clemson better not lose, or you're going to have three SEC teams in the playoff. So that's, that's the scenario that gets super complicated, but I will tell you, I don't find that to be, particularly on my radar because I think Bama remains vulnerable and I think they're going to lose again. And I think they're either going to lose a regular season game. I don't know who, you know, stupid Brian Kelly thing, or I don't know what, or they'll get to the SEC championship game and lose because I think there are more sort of fundamental flaws with Alabama that's sort of there for the taking. And they, you know, it's almost amazing that they lost that game to Tennessee because usually the deal with Bama is you get close and you don't get over the top and they rise from the dead and they take you out. Mm. Um, but I'm not – that's not my scenario at the moment, but we have to admit that that is a potential sort of like – no, I guess it wouldn't be that all – you know, you can't have all three one loss, right? No, it could be. If, if Georgia sure. beats Tennessee, yeah. Tennessee has beaten Bama and then Bama beats Georgia. Right. If But, but Tennessee – if Tennessee beats Georgia and then the then the SEC championship game is a rematch of Alabama Tennessee, then you wouldn't have that scenario, but you'd have a potentially different, complicated scenario. Um, if Bama then beats Tennessee to avenge that loss, and now they're one and one against each other, and you probably just take both for sure. Yeah, I think either of those scenarios is bad. And I actually, when I just gamed it out, and I wasn't trying to do it, but when I just did some analysis, my quick napkin analysis. That's what I came up with was the first one that Georgia beats Tennessee at home, which I don't think is any kind of a crazy call right now. And then the controversial one would be Alabama beating Georgia, not controversial, but the tougher call, the more of a reach Alabama beating Georgia as a one loss team on a neutral field in the SEC championship game and and winning the championship. And that's where I came to. And I think I understand that Alabama probably should have lost at Texas, but we both think Texas is pretty good. Like not just like we think Texas, the best version of Texas this year is better than those other big 12 teams we're talking about. And I think Alabama, I think what happened between Alabama and Tennessee and the Texas A&M thing is weird because young didn't play. Can't, can't ignore it, but it's, it's definitely a little bit weird. You almost have to put an asterisk next to it. I when I look at Alabama Tennessee, 
I see Tennessee over the course of the season having risen up closer to the Alabama Georgia level than I see Alabama having regressed back to what we've talked about before, which is the common, pretty good SEC team that then gets elevated by its association to Bama. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I see this more of like Tennessee belongs more in the elite range than Alabama falling back. So when I look, still look at those teams matching up on paper, that's still, I, I still see Alabama eventually being able to beat Georgia. And then you've got the three, the three, one loss team scenario. All right. When we come back, we'll take this quick break. We'll tell you what our brackets are right now for the four team playoff. And then I want to dig in a little bit on a particular side of the ball that I do think affects Ohio State. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Nathan Baird. So what is your four-team playoff bracket as we sit here? And I said, well, we're doing this. This is you have to bet your house and be right. This is not what you would do. This is what you think will happen, which is some combination of how you believe the committee operates and what you think teams are going to do the rest of the season. So what is your bracket? Well, yeah, the way the committee operates is uh, they want balance. They want um, what they would call game control. So teams that that don't uh, waver, which Alabama obviously has done. That's a good example. And even some of what Georgia did the last uh, couple weeks ago would count. They want undefeated conference champions, first and foremost. and And then I think they want that demonstrated ability on both sides of the ball. So, uh, I mean, the, the top half of this, I think, is easy. We already said, it. like, if Ohio State and the Clemson are undefeated, then they're in the playoff. So I have Alabama, Ohio State as my one seed, and I have Clemson as my two seed. I think Ohio State is playing better than anybody in the country right now. When I had to pick, like, I had a I really kind of quote-unquote agonized. I shouldn't say agonized. People actually agonize about important things on a day-to-day basis. I didn't agonize over my ballot this week, but I kept Ohio State number one despite all these other big wins because I think they've looked the least beatable of everybody in the country still. And I think that counts for something. And if they're going to keep that going, which I think they will, the more you look at this schedule, nothing is really going to test them until they get to Michigan, I don't think. And if they get that win on top of it, and Michigan is undefeated, and that's going to be very fresh in the in the in the committee's mind at the time that it happens. I think that's going to give them the one seed over Clemson, which is has oh, not, it's not been even as, a discussion. Yeah, it's not a discussion. Yeah. yeah, it's not a discussion. There's no way Clemson's the one. I, I have Ohio State as my one seed. I have Clemson as my three seed, both undefeated. Um, so who do you have then for your three and four seeds? So, like I said, I when I gamed it out, I still did. I came out with that scenario. Tennessee loses at Georgia. That puts Georgia in the SEC championship game against what I think will still be Alabama. I agree with you that there are some vulnerabilities there. Uh, I just I look at teams like Ole Miss, Mississippi State. I think they're good. I think Alabama is still better. And I, I just my bet. If I had to bet, I mean, if you're betting, betting against Bama is. If you have to bet your life, that's not the team I like to bet my life against. So I had Alabama still coming through this, winning the West, and then Alabama beating Georgia to win the SEC championship. So I would make Alabama the three seed, Georgia the four seed, and Tennessee and Michigan fans complaining that there's no 12-team playoff yet. And then in that scenario, there's not really an argument because we have uh, – yeah. two undefeated conference champs in Ohio State and Clemson, and then we have Bama – 
as the SEC champ. The SEC champ's always in. Bama as the SEC it's- champ, and Georgia was undefeated right up until the end, and lost to Alabama, and they get in as the four seed. And listen, I know there's Ohio State fans who are being like, wait a second, Ohio State, one loss Big Ten champion. We've been left out before. But that's when you go to West Lafayette and get your doors blown off. Uh, Alabama just lost on a last-second field goal to a team that could still be a one-loss team right there in the thick of all this at the very end of the season. It's not even a comparable situation. And if we don't understand that the SEC is different than like – I mean, what, what, you, you can complain about it, but there's a lot of factual stuff to it. And so, like, just, again, what's going to happen, the bet your house kind of thing, of course they would be in. I actually think Bama is not going to make the playoff. I think they're vulnerable. I think their receivers had some chances to make plays against Tennessee and didn't. I think, you know, that's a, that's a Saban defense who could not stop anything that Tennessee did. And so I just don't – I just – don't believe in Bama. I just don't think they're going to get through get without it. another loss, whether that's in the SEC championship game or the thing that would be, I mean, the thing that would be goofy is if they lost again and still somehow made the SEC championship game and then won. And now they're a two loss SEC champ right. and Tennessee and Georgia are two one loss teams that are the non champ. But like, there's no sense in making ourselves crazy over this right I, now. But I almost, I think that needs to happen. I think Alabama needs to win the SEC as a two loss champ so that they get left out of the playoff so that people could finally shut up about the extent of the SEC bias that they think is out there. Or they would make the playoff and the world would explode. But I think they actually might get left out in that scenario. So, and and, but what would happen? I mean, it it would affect the SEC more than the Big Ten, right? It would be that they're taking a spot from one of the one-loss teams. So so my scenario, I have um, Ohio State 1, I have Georgia 2, Georgia beating Tennessee at home and then winning the SEC. Just running it. Yep. Undefeated. Clemson three. And then I have Tennessee four. Tennessee getting in ahead of Michigan because I do think, and this is where, this is the direct head-to-head comparison that I was talking about that I think is very possible. But the but the tiebreaker here is Michigan's not going to have a win like Tennessee yep. has against Alabama. So you can do a lot of these other things. You know, Tennessee losing at Georgia is a lot like Michigan losing at Ohio State that say they're very close games. They're both good quality games where both the losers look really good, but Michigan can't compete with that Bama win. So you're going to get to the metrics, but probably Michigan's going to be more balanced in the metrics, which as you said, the committee does like because Tennessee is a little more vulnerable defensively. But I just think the Bama win trumps anything Michigan could do other than beating Ohio State. So if you're in a if you're in a, an 11 and 1 versus 11 and 1 head to head where Tennessee's losses to Georgia and Michigan's losses to Ohio State, I just don't think Michigan as much as we're saying, "Hey, it's possible." Could you get two Big 10s? Hey, it's possible. I think if that's the scenario that Tennessee doesn't stumble to someone goofy, I just don't think Michigan can win that head to head with the committee. I, the one thing is, that you bring up that I think could be a factor is the the balance because as yes you're right Alabama clearly didn't stop Tennessee but Tennessee didn't stop Alabama either Tennessee is not a good defensive team right now they're fine they're kind of doing enough to get by they're almost a version of what we thought Ohio State might have to do this year where they're like a a top 30 35 ish defense and they'll have to win games 48 to 45 52 to 49 at some point and again they're playing Alabama which it's a is a tough team to, to stop I guess except Texas A&M did it pretty well the week before, and Texas did it pretty well before that. Like Tennessee's not that good defensively, so if if they if it if it just gets a little wiggly on them, 
even with the one loss. And then you start comparing those side by side. I do think the committee likes teams that are like emphatically winning. It's why I think Ohio State has such a good eventual case to make for number one and has a good case right now is because they're not just going out and beating teams. They're going out and like just eradicating teams. So let me ask this then. Let's think of it from the reverse perspective. Michigan comes to Columbus and beats Ohio State. And now Ohio State is lined up against Tennessee to be a one-loss non-champ to get into the playoff, which yep. Ohio State has has made it before in that scenario. But now Ohio State is trying to be the second Big Ten team in the playoff. I think Ohio State, because of the way Ohio State has played, would have a more compelling case and because of who Ohio State is, right? Just like Bama always has a little more compelling case because they're Bama. Ohio mm-hmm. State has a little more compelling case because they're Ohio State. Would Ohio State win 11 and 1, 11 and 1 versus Tennessee for the four spot? Maybe. And there we have some data. I texted this out today that the way the schedule has worked, Michigan is like leading Ohio State through a very similar schedule. Like Michigan's already played Iowa. So now what Michigan did against Iowa, can Ohio State replicate that? I think they, they won by 10, but they gave up like, or 13. I think it was 27-14, but they gave up 14 in the fourth quarter and they really shut them down for the most part, which is not saying that much when you're playing Iowa. Uh, they beat Maryland by a touchdown at home. Ohio State has to go to Maryland. The The Penn State win obviously now is on paper. So how does Ohio State wins? If Ohio State goes out and is still thumping those teams to an extent greater than what Michigan did, then I think the case is even stronger that you could make that this team was just waylaying everybody and they just happened to run up against the one very best team other than them that they could play in the big 10. And, and you could make that case in a different way than you could with Tennessee, because I think the quality of football would be more complete. It is a little tougher when you lose at home. So if Michigan loses at Ohio State, sure. Michigan yep. says, "Hey, we had to go to, we had to go to Columbus, and oh, it was a close game." You know, it's a little tougher for Ohio State to make that case, having lost at home to Michigan. Yep. But I do think it, it does matter how you look matters. So Ohio State should keep dominating, right? That that game control it is. It's not just eye test. It is it is an actual metric they use. That like, hey, how much did you control your opponents, and that matters to how they evaluate things. So. Um, I think it's a, it was a good weekend for college football. I think we did learn a lot of things and I do think in the end, it was a good weekend for the big 10. Like, do you generally agree with that? That in the end, I mean, Penn state's not up to snuff. Penn state is half a team still Penn state offensively against real teams is not anywhere close to a playoff level right now. But for Michigan to look like that and some of the other results, particularly Alabama losing and USC losing was a huge deal because the idea of USC getting through undefeated was w- w- would really change this equation. That was a very good result for the Big Ten and the SEC mm-hmm. in trying to get a second team in if it feels like you know, you know you're not going to have an undefeated Pac-12 champ. Now, USC could still be a one-loss champ, and if they avenge the loss to Utah – and they have, you know, they have other, they have a UCLA game still ahead, right? I mean, we can't brush off the Pac-12 too quickly, but I just think they have too many good teams that are going to knock each other off. But but Utah pulling that out was a, was a great for the Ohio State Michigan loser. I think there's a scenario out there with like 
UCLA, USC, and Oregon, because they don't all necessarily play each other. Like you could have multiple one-loss teams at the end of this season in the Pac-12, and then Utah there, maybe actually still, because they've got two losses right now, but they could still maybe only have one conference loss, be one of the teams that only has one conference loss, and get into this three-way thing. Not all four of them could. It could only be three. But yeah, like some weird stuff could still happen with the Pac-12. But I also think that they none of those teams has been elevated into the upper tier yet this year by the consensus and by the, the performance metrics. Like nobody is putting them in that same category, as we said before. It's kind of a good but not great scenario. Even USC, some people were voting in pretty high, but the consensus hadn't pushed them up there because they hadn't beaten anybody. And I when I looked over things this week, it became apparent to me that I was one of the people probably overranking them. And I still I hadn't even ranked them that high yet compared to some others. I really, but the, that upper tier thing is what I've been kind of coming back to because what I thought happened this weekend was, you know, between Michigan and Penn State, I agree with you. I think that it's a, it's a great outcome for the Big Ten because now it looks like the Big Ten has two great teams and it needs multiple great teams. It's not necessarily good for Ohio State, I guess, because it's going to make it harder for them. But for the conference at large, it's great to be producing two teams that are now considered in that same conversation. I was a little bit surprised. I thought somebody might vote Michigan number one. Like you could like based on how they have kind of obliterated a lot of people, although some of them are pretty terrible, but to win the way they did against a team like Penn state, I, it wouldn't have shocked me if somebody had voted them number one. Um, I think you have a better, it may, it would make more sense to me that anybody was voting Michigan number one after this week than anybody was voting Alabama number one after last week. I guess, let me say it that way. Uh, but people get stuck on their preseason stuff, but like Michigan now is invited into this top tier and like Tennessee is invited into this top tier. Now, I think by winning games over who they did and the way they did. So now instead of this like triumvirate, we've been talking about all year and who might sneak in, things have really opened up. And I think it is good for the Big Ten in as much that both of these teams, if they get to a scenario where they're 11-0 and 11-0, and both of them will still have a playoff case no matter probably the outcome of that game. And that doesn't happen a lot of years. Usually the 11-0, 11-0 thing doesn't happen. But to get two Big Ten teams to Selection Sunday with a strong case to make the playoff is not something we often deal with. And this it's definitely headed towards that situation. If it was, uh, if they had a 14 playoff in 2006, they both would have made it, you know, when they went in as one yeah. versus two, 11 and 0 versus 11 and 0. So, yeah. Um, so, and I do think anybody who would have been open minded enough to vote Michigan number one this week voted for Tennessee. That they, that, that the, the yeah, closed minded yeah. people who are like, well, no, now I'm, I'm going back to Georgia because I only vote, and, you know, for teams who were, I liked in the preseason. So I think that they took that based on that win. And I think you're right. They, that's true. And, and actually, Tennessee has other good wins, too. They have, I think, more good wins than Michigan does, too. Close, factors close wins, but against but some quality, the quality teams. of teams. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I voted Ohio State. I voted Ohio State, Michigan, Tennessee, Georgia. And I think if I had flipped them and done the reverse order, it would have been just as right. Like, it's, it's, hmm. a, tough, it's a tough call right now. I think I would have done Ohio State, Tennessee, Georgia, Michigan. But um, open to all of that. Totally agree. One thing that I wanted to talk about from Ohio State perspective, we're going to have a brief Heisman conversation before we get out of here. But one of the things we have been talking about with the Ohio State defense was who can make them pay. And I do think, like, this was a weekend for offenses. This was not uh, a game where people got shut, a weekend where people got shut down. Alabama, 569 yards of total offense, 8.1 yards per play. 
Tennessee, 567 yards of total offense, 6.9 yards per play. USC, 556 yards of total offense, 8.1 yards per play. Michigan, 563 yards of total offense, 7.1 yards per play. So that's over 550 for those four teams. Ohio State, by the way, on the year in every game total is averaging 544 yards per per game as a reference point. Like I'm saying, oh, these teams were great. It's like, oh, yeah, they hit Ohio State's average. 8.1 yards per play average for Ohio State. Tennessee actually passed Ohio State for the year and is averaging more yards per game than Ohio State now. We've been saying who can make them pay. I'd had real doubts about USC's offense. They felt like they were – being propelled by turnovers and they weren't consistently scoring. They'd get into punt fests. They looked as good as they looked all year. Mm-hmm. Alabama, I still have real questions about Alabama's receivers. Bryce Young is a magician, man. He's like a dude. I don't yeah, he's a dude. Like, Give like that guy it's, an award. it's hard if we could it, it's he's man, is that guy a difference maker? Holy moly. And Jameer Gibbs is for real. Like that that idea of like you have a quarterback who can who every play Something could happen because of Bryce Young. And then Jameer Gibbs is a real running back. That guy can get you tough yards. He's explosive. He cuts and makes people look silly. Um, I just don't think they're receivers. They miss, they don't have a Jamison Williams, and you can tell. You can really tell. They're, they had some opportunities in that game where guys dropped balls that were right on their hands. So I have real questions about that with Alabama still. But then Tennessee, man, I mean, Hendon Hooker, we all knew, I think, was for real, running and throwing it. But they, this Jalen Hyatt guy, Five touchdown catches, man. Yeah. And he looked like it's like, oh, no, that guy, he was like, he's like, I think a top 200 recruit. It's like, oh, yeah, no, that guy could probably play at Ohio State, which is, you know, like the standard of like, oh, you know, there's just a lot of guys out there who are like, oh, that's a nice five nine guy who made a nice catch, but like he wouldn't even see the field at Ohio State. This guy looked like a Tennessee looked like it had talent, right? right? I didn't like Tennessee was not patching it together with bailing wire. This was like a real offense. So I thought, Nathan, that idea, who can make the Ohio State defense pay? I thought Michigan, Alabama, Tennessee, and USC all in their own ways. And listen, Clemson is not dynamic like that, but DJ's playing better and he can run it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And Will Shipley's a real dude in that backfield. I have questions about their pass catchers too. I thought the offenses showed up that made me think, okay, okay. None of their offenses are as good as Ohio State's offense, but, okay, Ohio State's defense, it's not just your own offense that could make you pay if you can't cover and if you can't get a pass rush that gets home. I thought I thought those offenses showed out, and it's very possible now, Nathan, the road to the national championship for Ohio State very possibly might end up going through like three really good offenses, potentially, if it's Michigan and then two playoff teams, whether that's Tennessee and Alabama, whether it's – I didn't say Georgia in there. They played Vanderbilt. I didn't take too much away from that. If USC would somehow sneak in, like it was – right? I mean, it was some good offensive showcases of real offensive talent. Yeah, and I, I'm more and more wondering when Ohio State is going to – I mean, you can only play who's in front of you. And their defense is clearly – not just like getting by. I mean, their defense is is imposing itself in some of these games too. But like looking at this schedule that's coming up, you know, six games left. 
part of the thing that happened in that Michigan Penn state game for me too, was fully exposing just where Penn state's offense is right now. And they don't know who their quarterback might be on a week to week basis. Now, I guess with, with Clifford's injury. So we don't know who a state, who a state Ohio state is going to face in two weeks. We know Ohio or sorry. We know Iowa is wretched. Penn state may be kind of wretched. And then Northwestern and Indiana are two of the four worst passing teams in the big 10 for sure. So, you're going to get all the way to Maryland possibly. And now Talia Tagovailoa might be hurt. So this is going to be maybe an untested defense all the way until that Michigan game at this point. And I don't know if that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, Heisman race. Shahan and I did a long Heisman discussion last week on our college football survivor show bonus episode, which is only for Apple subscribers. You pay $2.99 a month on Apple. You get four bonus episodes. Uh, going into this weekend, Nathan, I think CJ was like, when I looked at all the the quarterbacks of playoff contenders, of like undefeated playoff contenders, he was like seventh in total yards per game when you combine rushing and passing of those guys. And I think the thing to me that remains, I think CJ deserves to be viewed as the front runner right now still. But the highlights like the things that Hooker and Young did in that Tennessee-Alabama game, it's just not CJ's game, right. and that is not a criticism, but it is a reality. There are things that Bryce Young does that are just like CJ Stroud like, couldn't do that and wouldn't do that. He wouldn't hold the ball right. for 12 seconds and try to – he would just get rid of it, right? So, But it is enticing – and I'm not even as much as we criticize Heisman voters for being idiots. There were some things that Hooker and Young did in that game that was like, well, that's amazing. Like, I don't know well, how they did that. So that's the highlight contest for CJ Stroud, I think, is a bit of a challenge. No, it's absolutely a challenge. And I believe we've talked about that before that when his greatest asset is not something that is going to go viral. Like looking off a safety is not going to go viral. It's just we've brought that up before. Like that's that's a hard way to get out into people's eyes and minds the same way. Another quarterback I thought this like I had this exact thought as I was watching a game. It was a USC Utah game, a play where US Utah kind of had USC backed up, and Williams took the snap. And the pocket kind of started to collapse, and there's just like three guys coming in on him, and he just like zips through the middle, and he's just gone. And had like a 20, 30 yard run. I'm like, oh, CJ ain't doing that. Like, and again, it's not because like because CJ Stroud's not a great football player. It's because their games are different. But like, you remember those things in a way that you don't remember just precision and um and hitting targets and even things that I think get appreciated in a press box sometimes more than they're going to get appreciated by a fan across the country who is maybe even not even looking at your highlights from a, a 49 to 10 win over Michigan state. Cause what do they care? Um, I guess 49, 10 was Rutgers, whatever Michigan state score was like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, I think they just look right past it. If it's just a guy back there distributing, even if he's distributing it better than anybody has ever done, that doesn't resonate the same way. So I agree with you that there it's and it's not just the highlight moment. It's the the Heisman moment. Like so if 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 Heisman moments were a category, Hendon Hooker's got one. Like you almost don't get a more Heisman moment than beating a undefeated Alabama at any time of the season. Like that that's a Heisman moment. Like check it like and you can't take it away. It's not like it, it can't decrease like it's just the moment. 
even if Alabama loses four games this year, that's still a moment in a lot of ways. And he's going to have a chance at another one when he gets to go on the road at Georgia. And those, I think, are still the two main guys. But like we, like I just ran down for you, like Maryland may not be a thing now. It's only kind of a thing, like as a potential sort of trap game team to worry about. But I, they're not on Ohio State's level top to bottom talent. We know Iowa's not. It looks like Penn State has, has is less than what we thought. Like CJ Stroud might have to do a lot of heavy lifting with just what he does in the Michigan game. And like the hard thing for CJ is Iowa stinks, but their defense is good. But is he going to get credit for going against? I mean, listen, there, like it Riley is good. Miles, it Jack is Campbell, good. statistically, they're good. It is. We, it is. we we know what that means. They're Big Ten good. We know what that means. I'll say this. It doesn't mean it's going to be. Yeah, if they're on the field for 42 minutes, then how good is it? We, we, we know what it means, but, but again, just the whole idea of like, it's going to be hard. It's just harder for him to get credit for the things that he does better than anybody else. Because so it's, if you're angry that we're saying this, we're just trying to paint a picture. Here. Yeah, this isn't, um, it's not a judgment of Hendon CJ Hook, in any way. No, it's a judgment of college football. This award goes to the best college football player. A, it doesn't go to the best. It's a judgment of people. Yeah, It's a judgment of why people like Marvel movies Instead of uh, a drama about the human condition, right? right? We actually can talk more margin call later. Oh, okay. Right. But it's like why people like superhero movies because it's an action movie. This is actually a good comparison. This is like Hendon Hooker and Bryce Young were in an action movie on Saturday night. CJ Stroud might be in like 12 really well written and produced dramas. And well, they're almost so documentaries then it's a question of, <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Now, now the question that's is, good, but so, so the people, so the people, the people who vote for the Oscars, they don't vote for the Marvel movies, right? So it's that part of it is, is backwards because Heisman voters like Marvel movies, but Hendon Hooker, 385 passing yards, five touchdowns, ran 14 times for 56 yards. Bryce Young, 455 passing yards, two touchdowns, didn't run, only ran four times, but like ran to throw. Um, I think there's a Bryce Young Heisman case that remains because I think that, and he's missed games, but like the case for Bryce Young is Alabama does what you're predicting, which is like win out and win the SEC championship. And, and they do it him. primarily yeah. because Bryce Young is a miracle worker. Yeah. And that he like single handedly drags Alabama into the playoff. And you look back at the game he missed and you look back and say, my God, he threw for 455 and a loss on the road. What more can he do if the guy makes the field goal that like, almost that he's working against everything Alabama can't do and he's dragging them to victory. It's yeah. It's almost like an underdog story for an overdog. It, the loss almost helps him in a way that now Bama can rebound because what you fight the most sometimes as a Heisman winner is people like, ah, you did the same thing. It's like, this is going to be a little bit different. So I, I don't know. It's, well, um, and in what's going to be the lasting impression in people, like what's the lasting voters are going to maybe see, the ones who don't cast their ballots early, it'd be Alabama beating Georgia and winning the SEC championship on the same day that CJ Stroud is throwing for five touchdowns in the first half against Purdue or whatever. But you know what? Like people aren't going to, it's not going to resonate the same way potentially. Now I did. Bama did lose early last year and it kind of was a, a, an underdog story. And then Bryce Young beat Georgia in the SEC championship right. game. And a reminder, CJ Stroud after 11 weeks of the regular season was the leader. Mm-hmm. And then Ohio State lost to Michigan, and he didn't get a chance to play on conference championship weekend. I almost think you can't win the Heisman. If you're not Lamar Jackson, I, I almost think you can't win the Heisman if you're not playing on conference championship weekend anymore. I almost think that's like a fact, that that you need that last – it's right before the vote. 
it is it is really tough. Kyler beat Tua because what happened on conference championship weekend? It's just a really tough spot unless you're so spe- – again, it's, unless you're Lamar, unless you're something no one's ever seen and you're so unique that it's like, well, your team's 9-3, and three, whatever, but there's nobody like you. If you're not that and you're just right. – and I don't mean just. You're a good player on a good team. You've got to have the moment. So I, I do think if for whatever reason Ohio State doesn't get there, he's in trouble. But and, but again, that's another way to compare it too. Like C.J. Stroud is not an athlete the way that Lamar was. And Lamar could stack up Twitter clips that are going to roll around for an entire season in a way that Stroud just kind of doesn't. And when he does, it's things that his receivers get as much credit for as he does. Like we went out of our minds talking about that that play that Marvin Harrison Jr. made, you know, coming back to catch it off his toes or whatever, it folding himself in half. It's also a great, great, great throw by C.J. Stroud. A lot of the great touchdowns that these receivers make are great throws by C.J. Stroud, but he has to share credit on a lot of those in a way that Bryce Young and Lamar Jackson and Caleb Williams and players like this and Hendon Hooker, with the way he runs the ball, often doesn't have to. And I will say, I think it's also very possible that like Ohio State collectively as a team and C.J. Stroud as an individual just sat home and watch this weekend unfold, and we're like, okay, college football, all right, we'll yeah, see what you I, got now. Now watch this. I'm very right? intrigued. And they, to they ask just, them. yeah, this week. I think that's a good topic they're conversation not, this week. They're not. They don't have to be a Marvel movie. Like, I mean, as much as they obviously are. I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr. is a Marvel movie, right? Mayan Williams is a Marvel character. It's all that stuff. I get it, but like, it was. I mean, you think of there were four. There were four big time games that everybody was talking about going into this weekend, and three of them. Absolutely went down to the wire. Everything but Michigan Penn State. Last second field goal for a Tennessee win. Double overtime for TCU Oklahoma State. And Utah scores in the final two minutes and goes for two to beat USC. I mean, like, unbelievable college football. And Ohio State got to take it all in and just do its thing. And same for C.J. Stroud. So there's absolutely, again, like, C.J.'s still the front runner. He still has a very clear path here. But it's not like there aren't other people positioning themselves around him. I and I, I would say too, I don't even I don't think CJ has to stumble. I think Ohio State could be 13 and 0 and CJ keeps being CJ. Yes. And if the the exact right Hendon Hooker Tennessee season, Bryce Young, Alabama comeback, Caleb Williams, USC doesn't lose again, like the exact right version of that hits. I could see him not winning, even if everything from the Ohio State perspective keeps chugging along. Yes, because I think in some voters' minds, the guy who had to make the surge, the tie goes to the surger. Like, <laughs> instead of tie goes to the yes, good to way the runner. You know what I'm saying? Like, the guy who has to come from behind and just be an equal case gets more credit. Um, yeah, I, I think that, that will potentially... Yeah, I've been thinking about that. I think it's going to be but, tough. But you've got to serve. Like, you've got to catch the right. guy in front because he's in front. And I do think, like, and I and I said this recently on, on a radio show, like, Troy Smith's case was not a statistical case in 2006. Right. What was the case? He was the captain of the ship of the best team in the country. And that was far and away enough. And it is very possible that CJ does not need to throw for 375 yards a game. And he does not need to have 50 touchdown passes because people would look and say, that's the best team. 
That's the guy who makes it go. He does his job every week. I don't care if he doesn't spin in a circle before he throws the ball. That's what winning looks like. That is a very, very, very compelling and like real, like real. Every every part of that is real because CJ Ohio State wouldn't be Ohio State without CJ Stroud. 100%. So we all know that. So we don't want to we don't want to act like the surge case is the only case, but it's just that nothing's locked up. No, and but also that we have that perspective here, but there are still ways in which this sport and especially the voting for the Heisman, I think it can be a very regional enterprise sometimes. And if you're outside of the big 10 and you're very involved in the sec and the big 12, and you're only tangentially paying attention to other things and you look over your shoulder and you're like, Oh, Ohio state's winning the big 10 by just being so much better than everybody. I mean, Michigan's the difference maker there, but that case is going to come at the very end. If it's just 12 weeks, 11 weeks, like the the schedule isn't doing him any favors either, I guess is what I'm saying, which ties us back to that first question, to the, the original topic we talked about tonight. All right, that's it for football. Now time for a little nonsense when we come back. What you watching, what you eating, what you thinking on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice back with Nathan Baird, 614-350-3315. If you want to be a tech subscriber, read us at cleveland.com slash OSU. What you watching? So I watched the rest of Margin Call, and it was a lot of yapping. And just as like I, I don't like love the Marvel movies, but like a hundred minutes of like talkity talk, and and like when your movie description is there was a thing and the thing happened, and like there's no, there's nothing that branches off of that. There's not a twist. There's not a surprise. I was like waiting for the thing in margin call where it's like, and then this like exciting, crazy thing. It's like, nope, just a thing happened. And it's interesting because I was also, I'm also listening to a podcast that's it's on the, you know, the ringer podcast network, the rewatchables where they rewatch movies and talk about stuff. They just did a Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross mm-hmm. for that, which is if your if your movie is going to be just a bunch of dudes talking, you better be David Mamet. And I didn't think Margin Call was mammoth-esque. Like, I didn't think, like, the dialogue was so zippy and zingy. And then it was just a thing happened, the end. And I was like, what? Where was the, like, where was, like, the, where was the exciting part? So, like, actually kind of out on Margin Call. Sorry to say, Nathan. No, but I, what what did you like about it? A lot of things. I, I disagree about the dialogue. I think, it, especially in some of those scenes that I've specifically mentioned, that I think that the scene at the, the boardroom scene, the scene where Kevin Spacey is sending the uh, brokers out with their marching orders for the fire sale. Like, th- what I also think is really compelling about that film is, I mean, it's a fictionalized version of what actually happened. And I think a very accurate depiction of what actually happened in this country in 2008, where this whole thing went sideways and the the whole thing nearly blew up if people hadn't intervened. And the concept of like putting you in the rooms of the very like self interested, um, greedy people who are operating there. I understand why there are people who would be turned off by that. I found it very compelling I thought it was a lot of real characters and uh, very well written. And uh, um, I, I think, I think more happened in that than you did. I wouldn't put it on the level okay, of so what about Ross, this? maybe, but what, what if they would have had this? 
So like they're they're talking about finances and whatever, decimal points, I don't know. And then they get in the elevator to go downstairs and there's a wolf in the elevator. And then the wolf is like attacking them and they have to beat the wolf off with their bare hands. I'm like one wolf fight in an elevator. And then I'm in. And I know, was there an actual wolf in the financial building well, at three o'clock in the morning? It would be a bear or a bull. Maybe not, but a it's a fiction. But I don't, I don't do that because I still don't know it. <laughs> I know. It's my I've, I've, someone taught me the trick and I still don't know it. What is it? If you get gored, that's good. No, I don't know. So yeah, just one, I just one wolf attack. As much as I don't want superhero movies, I just want a wolf attack in a drama. Hey, we're walking. Hey, I'm in love with you. I'm in love with you. Let's go for a walk in the woods. You're walking in the woods. You get attacked by a wolf, right? Then you beat. I don't want the people to get killed by the wolf, but you get scratched up. You have to fight the wolf off. Maybe I don't want the wolf to die either. The wolf runs off. Everybody's happy. You have a good five minute wolf fight. I would put a five minute wolf fight in every movie. Yeah. Like Shakespeare in love. Hey, I'm Shakespeare. Hey, you're my girlfriend. Here comes a wolf. Because wolves, I think, were around back then, right? Wolves aren't modern animals. Wolves have been around since I, I don't what's know. A, was what's a modern Shakespeare, animal? Like 100, 100 BC? I don't know. I don't know. What's a modern animal? Like an, an animal that just evolved like in the last like a Pokemon? 50 years? <laughs> <laughs> like what's a modern animal? I didn't know yeah. that they just. It, it, Here. We believe in evolution on this podcast. I'm going to be. Here, Very here's, I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. I'm Shakespeare's girlfriend. Oh no, I just got attacked by a Pokemon. Makes it a little bit better. Uh, all right, what are you watching? Uh, but um, just to finish that off, have you seen Big Short? Which is the Adam McKay I have not, movie? The camera, the camera moved. The camera moves too much. It, I don't like the jiggly jaggly camera. Oh my god! I get seasick. <laughs> Put the camera on a tripod. I get it. I get it. Oh, hey, man. how do you make your movie exciting? What if we just shook the camera? for two hours could you just get a get the man a tripod i respect your filmmaking get a tripod man. why is it better if the camera's shaking you're not being chased by a ghost like in that where what was the the werewolves of madison county what was that movie that everybody loved the back in the day the, the, the Blair witch one. project yeah the that one <laughs> <laughs> that one i get it you're running through the woods and you're being attacked by a wolf so then the camera bounces but this is you're just in a boardroom and the camera's moving all around Get a tripod. So I can't, I watched like half of it. And I was like, the camera moves wow. too much. Okay. You and I should I have, I love Steve Carell though. You and I should have a film review podcast because I think maybe we shouldn't actually, because there would just be no consensus. It would just be this no, real and dichotomy. I, 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 and I would just complain about things that actually have nothing to do with the movie or things that are right, good about the movie. <laughs> What if we what if we just what if we just did a YouTube video where you and I and, and Steven were standing there getting ready to make our picks for Ohio State Iowa and then like right in the middle of it someone grabbed the camera and started shaking it and it was like, Oh, that adds dynamism to like, ooh, it's exciting. Go ahead. What'd you watch? Um so I was actually gonna almost combine all three of my things into one and it was just like Saturday was awesome. Like not having like this was like this is probably the best bye week that Ohio State's had since I've been on the beat. Just to have that be the week where we didn't have to go cover a game and you got to watch all of those games back to back to back. Like, So we had my friends, uh, Charlie and Christine. I mentioned Charlie on the pod before, big Ohio State fan. He shows up in his Ohio State sweatshirt. She shows up in her Penn State sweatshirt. Uh, she did not enjoy the, the Penn State-Michigan game. Uh, but then 
She did enjoy the Alabama-Tennessee game. We roll right off of that into the Alabama-Tennessee game. During the first game, we ordered roosters. They had never had roosters before, so we got to introduce them to roosters. They'd come in from Pittsburgh. So there's there's the what you eaten aspect of this, building off of uh, Frickers last week. And and then just like it all led into like what I'm thinking was just like how awesome that day was to like it, I think a lot of fans, maybe not a lot of fans. There are probably fans who are envious of us. They're like, oh, you get to go to the games and like you get to like go talk to the athletes and the coaches and like write about these things. And like you're inside, you're, you've got some inside access that the average fan doesn't have. And they think that that's cool. And I found myself realizing how much I envy fans for days like Saturday, because there are so many times where we wouldn't have been able to do any of that. Like you're at the, we would be this coming Saturday, like I'll be at the stadium by eight 30 or whatever it is. And we'll get done with all of our work by whatever time. And then I'll come home and then we'll record a podcast. And it's like, maybe I'll catch uh, uh, UNLV against Fresno state or whoever's playing late on Saturday night. But like, you don't really get to watch all this great football. And we did on Saturday and to just get to absorb all, all of that, getting to watch uh, USC Utah so I could have you know uh, I could finally vote for Utah this week and appease all of those fans out there that have been coming after me with literally like their pickaxes and whatever they use in the mines out there and uh, even got to watch like I haven't been watching any playoff baseball I even got to watch the end of the Dodgers Padres game last night which was a big upset and the Padres winning and knocking them off and going on and um, it was just a great day it was like one well, of the best days I've had in a while, just being able to watch all of that and spend that time with friends and have some delicious roosters. It's just knocked it all. It was just lined it up and knocked it down. Are you quitting on Monday? <laughs> no, I still have to be able to buy the next thing of roosters that we want to order. Yeah, that's true. It is. Uh, Cause like, you know, thanks again to YouTube TV. What an invention. It's just, I mean, I literally record every game that is played. Yeah. And so then I zip through a lot of games on a, a Sunday and a Monday and the rest of the week. Um, but zipping through like, hey, I want to make sure I watch the most important plays of Alabama-Tennessee is different than watching Alabama-Tennessee right. happen right. as it unfolds. I mean, it's quite a different experience. And it's still interesting to watch. I want to go back and watch how this happened. Oh, you can see the defense did this. Or, oh, this guy made these plays. Um but yeah, what, being able to watch Alabama Tennessee um, was quite a thing. But again, there's just been, there's been so many conversations, Nathan, like about that uh, college football is top heavy and it's the same teams all the time. And uh, you know, when you get Georgia and Cincinnati, and Michigan in the playoff last year, you know that lessens that a little bit. That it's not just Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama. But that's part of why Saturday was so good. That the, the all those games were so competitive, right? And that. It still would have been a great game if USC had beaten Utah. It still would have been a great game if Alabama had beaten Tennessee. But it added a little bit something. It's sort of like the the teams with a little less name brand recognition who are really good managed to pull it out, right? Which added a little bit to it and just opens things up a little bit more. So I agree. I, I was at my daughter had two band competitions on Saturday, which was um, good that I had to buy because they only have that once a year where they have a double day of band competitions. So I was at both of those, but my wife was driving and I was watching the games on my phone and it was a uh, lovely, I did not have roosters though. So what I was eating is I also uh, in the bye week went and just saw my daughter at college for a day, which means that I ate in a college dining hall. And I think I've talked before about how I like eating at the food court at the Ohio state student union, which isn't really a dining hall though, but just like going through a line and, you know, they have all these different stations and it's like being on a cruise ship a little bit. And um, 
I just loved it. I But the problem with my daughter just ate like a normal person's lunch. And I was like, oh, it's a buffet with different things. I'll eat three meals. And like I had a hamburger and then I had pork and then I had chili. And it's like, well, that's not how you're actually supposed to do this. But what an experience, Nathan. I just, if I could get a dining hall pass right now, I would eat at a college dining hall every meal if I could. I'm so envious of my daughter that that is the world she is embarking on for the next several years. I, I don't remember looking back... I, Looking back, I don't remember thinking when I was 18, oh, I love eating in the dining hall. But now that I'm almost 50, I would think I would eat. But I guess that's why old people go to like, they have like cafeteria restaurants because that's what they go. That's what you're recreating. I'm all in. I'm all in. Give me a tray and like a set of like steel bars to slide it along and a couple different options for food and like a drink dispenser and maybe some cookies for dessert. And I am just the happiest boy you could find. I love dining halls. I was so happy to eat in one. Have you eaten in a dining hall recently? I've never eaten in a college dining hall. Well, then you should just storm, just go I break into one. I, didn't I don't live know. On, yeah, I didn't live on campus. Uh, at UIC, we had like a little food court that had a, um, in one of the buildings, that had like a Wendy's and a Subway and a, I don't remember, a Sabaro and then like some kind of a Mexican thing. And I would eat there sometimes, but that was the closest I came. Like I never was a like a dorm resident eating in, in food halls. Well, and I also think that I just said they should just have – if they had like a thing that when you get really old, like when you're 70, you could just go back to college for a year. And you'd go to class. You'd pick the classes you want to take, but you'd live in a dorm and you'd eat in the dining hall. You'd have some extracurricular activities. I was taking a picture like every – you know, at a, every college campus they have – flyers posted up everywhere like this activity this thing and i was just like saying to my daughter like are you gonna go to this are you gonna go to this if you don't go to this i'm gonna go to this and she was like would you please leave me alone and i'm like i want to be back in college so um i loved it oh it keeps you young i mean that's one of the things i like about covering college sports i like being around right college students and the college atmosphere but i'm not in the dining hall as nearly much as i as i wish i was no i do love a good smorgasbord I don't think anyone would be yeah. um, shocked to hear. I remember when I going to church growing up in Danville, Illinois, and there was this little smorgasbord place across the street called George's Buffet uh, that was like definitely like an old people's cafe kind of place, like an old people's smorgasbord, like a like an MCL if people are familiar with that chain or places like that. Yeah, and but even like older, it was like this brick building and. Um, all of the other like kids our age at that church would like make fun of that place. And me and my brother would be like, ah, I'm like maybe we can go to George's buffet this Sunday, like after church, like trying to get our parents <laughs> to take us. Cause like, we were just like, love like down home cooking. We'd rather go there than like McDonald's. Like we'd rather go to the, that kind of place and get chicken and noodles and stuff like that. So, uh, I, I, but I, ever since I don't, I haven't done anything like that since COVID. I was a little surprised that all those places oh. made it through. Yeah. The MCL in my town closed. So I, I would be going to MCL now if I could. Um, all right. So you already did what you're thinking. You were thinking like, oh, Saturdays are fun when I don't have to work. <laughs> I don't know. That's not exactly what I said. What I think I said was it was nice to appreciate the fan experience, the the average fan experience. Not that I don't appreciate the experience that I get to have where I go cover these games in exchange for raising my child and putting a roof over his head that, that that has i can appreciate that as well both things can be true 
But also, I like not working on Saturday. It's also a very reasonable thing yeah. for a person to By think. the way, most Saturdays I don't have. Like over the course of a year. There's a lot of Saturdays between like yeah. February through the end of July that I don't have to work. So I catch up. So this is the thing that I was thinking about. And this is like combining watching the baseball playoffs and thinking about football. And I was watching um, Sunday night as the Guardians lost to the Yankees in game four and it's setting up game five winner take all on that series. And they were just talking about the strategy and would Terry Francona potentially use Shane Bieber in game five? And is he going to go to his closer in game four who threw two and a half innings, whatever. And I love the strategy of like building things up in a series and that it's not only losing, but it's sort of how you lose and what you do while you, while you lose that affects the next game and you get that like in every other sport other than football. So wouldn't it be awesome? And maybe I'm sure we'll never get there, but what if the super bowl, what if the national championship game, instead of being one game or two out of three and like, let's play, listen, we're going to account for it, right? We're not going to play them back to back. We're going to play them every week. Once a week, we're going to keep on the same schedule, but you're going to play multiple times. So you sort of, Take away the fluke. You sort of learn from, well, we did this last game and they stopped us, so we're going to do this. That's one thing I miss, sort of that strategic part of football. And I know you get it when you're in the, you know, the Browns and the Steelers are in the same division and you get to know each other. And, and there's that to some extent. But like a football series, I just thought, like, would that be fun or would it be like, what are we doing? We beat these guys 31-17. Now we're, we're playing again. And if they well, beat us, we have to play a third time. Is that nuts or would it be interesting? Well, the NFL version of that is going to come about through the 12-team playoff occasionally. Probably mostly from the SEC though, right? I mean, you're going to have Alabama and Georgia play in the regular season. And then they play again in the SEC championship game. And then they play in the playoff. Like that that sort of thing could definitely happen. It's going to be rarer than in the NFL. It won't be a thing that happens regularly. But it's still going to happen occasionally. Uh, should it happen? I don't know. I, I sort of like, I don't know. I'm torn there. I, I definitely like the, the one game to decide it aspect of things. Um, I've heard people, maybe kind of NBA snobs complain about the NCAA tournament in basketball. Sometimes we're like, well, it's just one night. Like you, you know, you could get lucky on one night and it's like, well, you could, I guess, but it means you also have to bring it every night. Like you can't leave yourself vulnerable to the upset or or whatever. So, I no, I don't think it'll ever happen. Okay, no, it, I don't it's, think it's it'll ever it's, it's, it's logistically difficult in for football is the thing. Like, because you have to leave so yeah. much time. And the other thing that's happened a little bit in baseball since you brought you brought up that analogy is there are people right now seeing what the Padres just did to the Dodgers, what some other team like the Phillies just did to the Braves, uh, the Mets not even like winning a hundred some games, not even making a division, like like. Are, are some of these series too short and that they make it so that you're not actually getting accurate representations of who the better teams are, that it becomes a little too fluky. Um, in, in, in So when you start comparing it across sports, maybe that is actually an argument why I, there should be two out of three in football because one game can be so fluky. I don't know. I do. Th- baseball's nuts. The idea that you play 162 games and then if you lose three out of five to somebody, it's like, well, sorry. Right. I mean, I like, I just in games. general yeah. in sport, as much as people like upsets, I much 
I really do. I, I much prefer like the best teams playing each other for the championship and baseball. It's like, Oh, it's the Phillies and the Padres. It's the five seed and the six seed. It's like, I guess that's cool, but it's not actually better. Like, uh, like, cause are like, are they the, and I get it. Like was Ohio state actually better than Miami in 2002, but that's, it's like a different animal like this. You didn't play 162 games to firmly establish that the Dodgers are better than the Padres. And it's like, ah, sorry. You lost three times. Who cares about the 162? I think there's a lot wrong with baseball and the structure and the way they do things. And a lot of times baseball think something is good. It's like, no, it's actually not good because like we're not getting your best teams. We're not getting your best players playing each other in, in the big moment. And football actually does as much as people complain, have complained about the same teams being in the playoff. It's always the best teams, right? Yeah. So it's like, uh, so, sorry that the best teams are always the same. But I do think sort of in the end, it's good for your sport if the vast, vast, vast majority of the time, it's the best teams who are playing for the championship. And and football football does that pretty well compared to a lot of the other sports. So, okay, we'll stop it there. Back on the normal podcast schedule this week, getting ready for Ohio State and Iowa. That means we'll see you on this feed again on Wednesday when I'll be back with the rants. Um, and then we'll get back into rapid fire and the game preview and me and tissue and the gambling pod. And of course, a post game pod next Saturday after Ohio state hosts Iowa at noon for now for Nathan Baird. I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye talk. Buckeye talk.